Hi, Emma. Hi, David. Hi, Danny. Hey, hey, how are you? <laughs> I'm great. Yeah, w welcome, you guys. I appreciate you uh, taking the time to, to be here and do this. We're, we're, we've had, a, uh, I think, a good challenge of getting this together. Emma, you're in Australia. Danny, you're in Bangkok. I'm in Northern California, so the time zone situation is, is kind of all over the place. For me, it's it's uh, way past my usual bedtime, so I got the I got the blue blockers on and I'm I'm ready to go and I I, uh, I got I got a tonic water here and some Parmigiano Reggiano, so uh, I'm trying to stay up a little bit and do this, but I'm I'm so happy we were able to make this happen. Yeah, same. I we can take a snack break uh, during the middle of this and then extend things a little bit. <laughs> Good idea. Sounds fantastic. So you guys, um, the the. The kind of general theme of this this one I thought could be uh, revolving around um, the bioenergetic approach and what that means. And to me, it, it really means a lot of uh, like reinviting this youthfulness into our lives. And 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 I'm speaking on a metabolic level, on a cellular level, um, but just that it, it it's bringing in these qualities of life that are that are that are that are what the young organism. Um, might might display. So an additional prism I wanted to to have with this is that um, we, you know we're, we're we're parents Emma and myself and uh, Danny you you may be a parent someday but this idea that parents have a big <laughs> influence on the environment for their young uh, humans and and what kind of behaviors that means that we can be thoughtful of and so on and so forth. So I, I, I thought that would be a really fun show. Um, Emma and Danny, your backgrounds lend, lend themselves to this, this topic, I think, and I think it'll be really a lot of fun. Um, before we do that, I just kind of wanted to check in with you guys and see what you've been up to for work and what, what you're having fun uh, with as far as projects go these days. So uh, Emma, do you want to start and, and tell us? Yeah. Kind of um, well, well, I'm in Lockdown City in Melbourne, Australia. So can't get out and do much anyway, but I'm pretty lucky because most of my work is online anyway. So most of my clients are international and I'm stuck in my study, Skyping everyone, so it doesn't feel too different. Uh, so yeah, consulting is normal as well as, um, so recently last few months, I launched a company with Kitty Blomfield. You may or may not all know of her. And <laughs> it was never really the plan to begin a supplements company by any means, but it just grew out of frustration of certain products we couldn't get at a particular quality. So we started making things ourselves and considering we launched at the beginning of a pandemic, it's um, it's going really well. And I think people are perhaps, are, you know, putting more or valuing their health even more and it's online obviously. So that's been keeping us busy too, but no. What's what's the website for, for your SATURE.com.au. So we've just got a, a handful of products there at the moment that mainly food-based products. Um, some liver casein and cascara and collagen. But it was pretty fascinating when we looked into it, certain things we literally couldn't get in Australia without fillers and flow agents and other excipients. So we just we made them but it's been it's been a real challenge but it's been yeah it's been fun that's so awesome that's, that with juggling kids at home but yeah pretty much business as usual awesome well i'll link uh yours and kitty's uh um new supplement nutrition company uh in the no show notes below of course 
And Emma, so a quick story. Um, I first became involved with some of your work. Um, I think it was around 2016 mm-hmm. when my wife um, was pregnant with our with our boy, and um, we had we had become familiar with Ray's work maybe a few years earlier. And I, I, I had gotten through a few basic experiments that kind of convinced me like this, this guy has a point on some of these things and, and really just gave me a new kind of sense of what, what health, health was and, and, and such. But when my wife was pregnant, we, we looked into like some, some specific things we could do when she, when she was pregnant to bring some of these ideas into practice. And your, your name and your article, um, an article you had written on um, nutrition during pregnancy, I think it was popped up online and we it really started us on this course of uh, learning more about what we could do um, to kind of foster like a a a healthy um, prenatal and neonatal uh, environment so that was really cool no that's awesome glad you found it thank you yeah what's your what's your your nutrition council website uh yeah the nutritioncoach.com.au and i'm just myself piecing things together as i go as well but um like when I wrote that article about pregnancy, it was out of me needing to collect the information I was looking for as well. When I went when I went through pregnancy the first time, because you sort of learn on the job, don't you? <laughs> you don't yep. become quite so passionate about pregnancy until you're in it. Um, and even though I'd been working with a lot of raised ideas for a few years to that point, I still got to a place where I realized, oh, that it was limited knowledge and information to apply when it came to pregnancy as such. And um, yeah, I had to piece together that article more from my own learning, I think, of figuring out how does this apply to pregnancy. And I would quiz Ray to a point as well and you know, drag from him what I could. And he w- would recommend the work of say Tom Brewer, which was helpful. But it was interesting once you spit the baby out, it kind of, there was a lack of knowledge at that point too, really suddenly you're breastfeeding and suddenly you're sleep deprived and it even Tom Brewer's work kind of stops at you know the birth of the child and then there's there's kind of a void so I would yeah I I had to build that information because I I didn't find enough information for myself personally that was relevant and there was still a lot of push for pregnant women needing to be on fish oil and taking their prenatal vitamins and it didn't really fit in with Ray's knowledge and the information he taught me so um yeah that was me you know putting it together as i went and learning on the job as well so i'm glad if it was some help to you so helpful yeah and i want to talk a little bit more about that uh, later in the show um but first danny what, what what have you been up to lately what are you working on where can we work we uh get a get a hold of, of the stuff you're doing <laughs> uh I don't know. Are you talking about like this year? Like this year has generally, I think, been about producing more content, you know? So my buddy, Georgie Dinkov and I, and uh, I have an episode with Emma that did extremely well. You know, I think it's just uh, my, my biggest issue was always putting out content regularly because sometimes I'd film a video, wouldn't like how it turned out and just like scrap the whole thing, you know? So, so yeah, those live streams are a way for me to put out things regularly. And why wouldn't we want to talk about kind of this bioenergetic idea, you know? So I was, I was kind of hampering myself by trying to be too much of a perfectionist on different videos and things like that. So, so yeah, so, and those have taught me a lot uh, in and of themselves. And so 
for example, I was I was doing a live stream and really flubbed the explanation of like lipid peroxidation. So I, I go back and try to learn how to talk about that more effectively um, and things like that. So I think just going through learning, uh, doing these live streams, which is uh, it's a learning process in a, doing them like on the computer, you know, there's so much involved in doing those live streams. So it's uh, that's challenging in and of itself. And yeah, producing content, learning more. Um, yeah, I think that was the, the anthem for this year. I love that. And I, I, I do love what you guys are doing, you and Georgie. And sometimes you have Ray on and you had Emma on for that one episode or, or a couple, I think. And it's this idea that, that viewers like myself and my wife and our, our boy and like just anyone can, can tune into a TV channel, so to speak, that is this approach that is quite different and in, in a powerful way than, than the mainstream um, kind, of, kind of stuff. Yeah, the regularity can't be understated because uh, I don't know about you, but I think it's pretty normal for people to just consume an immense amount of content and n nutrition is really something people get really into, you know? So, so yeah, just uh, hopping on that bandwagon of just producing, I mean, still quality content, but regularly uh, being this important thing. And then, as you mentioned, getting Rayon was <laughs> something I was like resistant to for a long time. Like people had mentioned it. I was like, there's no way I'm going to get Georgie and Rayon. I don't know why anybody would ever want that. I haven't, don't ask me why I thought that, you know, but, um, but yeah, it actually made it easier because I find interviewing Ray to be really challenging. You know, mm -hmm. I'm, you do it very well. Uh, sometimes I just like my brain drops out of my skull and I can't follow up with a good question. And so having Georgie there is actually awesome because um, again, just a three person interview is a little bit more relaxed than like a one-on-one -on -one type of thing. I can be dumber in those <laughs> situations and that Georgie kind of pick up the slack of asking really good questions. I think that's a good point. And, and it's funny that you say you had reservation about doing it with the three of them, because I think everyone who's ever heard of you or Ray <laughs> or Georgie wanted that. Yeah, I know. I don't know. I don't know why I felt that way. <laughs> it was going to happen. <laughs> yeah, it was bound to happen. It had to happen. Um, so you were saying you, you sometimes you watch videos and you go over like what you could have done different. It reminded me of my dad. He used to tell me, he was a professional tennis player and he played professionally in Europe and like tennis was his big thing. And when I was younger, he used to tell me like he never lost a match. And I'd be like, well, yeah, yeah, you did. You lost matches. Like I know you, lo you lose sometimes. And he goes, no, I never lost because before I go to bed after a day of playing a match and losing, he's like, I'd play the entire match in my head again oh, wow. before I went to sleep and all the points I lost. I'd replay them with something different happening where I won those points. And um, I, that always stuck with me like as a, as a useful tool in the uh, like visualization or learning process. I, you're totally right. You know, yeah, just the process of learning and doing it is more important than it getting a hundred thousand views or something. So that that's like a doing an interview or doing a live stream is like a skill, you know, and you have to continue to, to do it over a long time period of time. And it's a skill that I really uh, need to develop <laughs> to a large degree. You know, I don't think I'm the best interviewer or the best interviewer or anything. So, so yeah, the more I can do it, the slightly better I get each time. And, and yeah, that's in this field that we're in, it's, it's a useful thing to have. 
I totally agree. And just the idea that it's, it's just, just this process. And that if we can enjoy the process, it makes it a little bit more, uh, uh, I don't know, fun. <laughs> so, so you guys, so you guys have had a relationship for, for many years. Can you, can you guys each recount the story of how you guys met and, and what you guys have been through together? I think um, I was thinking of this when you put that question down. I was going back through some emails last night thinking, what year did we first connect? And um, I think from what I found, it was about 2014. But Danny, when I was looking at the emails, one of the email titles was, did you wrap your legs in plastic? <laughs> Just <reminded> me. <laughs> some of the things, like I, I work, you know, we both contact Ray a fair bit, but I worked with Dodie very closely for many years too, Dodie Anderson. I don't know if you know her name, but she is, yeah, she's amazing. And she worked with Ray one-on-one -on -one for about 20 years. Um, and she would, she speaks to Ray on the phone every single week and gets little tidbits of what he's up to like currently. And then I'd speak to her and say, so what has Ray told you this week? And he was talking about the benefits of using the progesterone or the progesterone, but rubbing it into your what, thighs and calf muscles, that part of the body and using it topically, using a lot. But then he'd say, if you then wrap it in plastic wrap on top of that, leave it for 40 minutes or something. Your penetration's better. So I tried it once, but I had a toddler at the time and he'd rip it off me and it got really messy and it was just not going to work. And she had a dog and she said it wasn't working. <laughs> and so then, then I told Danny and Danny's wrapping his legs in plastic and we <laughs> tried the most ridiculous things, but yeah, didn't, didn't follow through with that. So, so I, at least my, like, I think I'm very resistant to like connecting to people in the health world because a lot of people, uh, it turns out they're crazy. <laughs> so, so I think I always like really want to feel out a person before, um, I don't know, like forming some kind of relationship with them. But talking to Emma was, we had so many common interests. We're really passionate about nutrition, you know, um, that tip of that, the as silly as it sounds, the leg plastic wrap like changed my life. You know, like it was that was really important for me. In fact, I have it on right now, and yeah, so it's it, and so it, so it's 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 uh, and then talking to her, she's uh, a very good good person to talk to. How late? But just uh, we just had a, a resonance and a rapport that was just obvious. And we talk about a lot of other things like conspiracy theories yeah. and such. And so. Um, and so, yeah, we're fascinated with Ray. And so I, I think that just made kind of uh, bouncing ideas off each other feel very well, I think at the time it was a godsend for me because especially in Australia, I think it was what, nearly 10 years ago, I think I did a bit of a shift and I came across Ray's work and how I practice nutrition became very different. But I didn't know of anyone else in the country at the time that was speaking about dairy and sugar being good things. You know, it was a similar time that, in my country, it was a big popular movement was to quit sugar altogether. And I was, I felt like this lone voice saying, no, so sugar's good. <laughs> so you feel a bit nuts sometimes. And then I found Danny and Danny's site from his work and his article in your book. And I loved it. And I thought I need to connect. So to find people you can connect with in this is, was just fundamental. Um, and then we just download and bounce off each other and pull out our frustrations. And it's, yeah, it was kept me sane. I think Danny, your book um, "Hair Like a Fox" was Fox. was one of my first introductions to you, and I, I don't know how I came across it, but I, I discovered it somehow online, and then I ordered it like the next day, 
and it came and it's still like one of the books like on the you know in the, on the main book <laughs> in the, uh, such a good one office or whatever um but i think that's how i first first uh, got into got into what you were doing too i appreciate it. sometimes i'll go back and read that and i'll be like oh that's that was really great when ray pete said it <laughs> so so yeah that was uh yeah it's kind of like looking at a photo of yourself in, in high school but but yeah, you got to start somewhere, you know, and and so yeah, that was definitely integral to just moving along, and, uh, and yeah, finding my own voice rather than just kind of try, trying to be Ray Pete essentially. But mm. but yeah, some people think you have to go through that process of like mimicking before you can find yourself, you know. And I think in my case, that was definitely true. That was very personal too. Like you spoke about what you'd been through, what you tried. Like we've all done those stupid experiments and. <laughs> People appreciate that because they go, oh, I'm not the only one who's done taken such extreme measures with your diet, and and then you you learn the hard way what doesn't doesn't work for you. Yeah, like like you said, that the what? interest in hair loss was because it felt like it felt like an unmet need, just like the yeah. pregnancy was an unmet need to you. And so we're yeah. we're actually I think pretty have a similar story in thinking that the information was inadequate, so therefore yeah. you have to figure it out yourself. Yeah. I think it would be it could be a show in itself to talk about all the the either funny or just downright funny or interesting experiments that we've involved ourselves in over the years. Um, not for this show, but maybe sometime because I I know like part of this is is the experimentation and like we learn so much when we go through something that later we might be able to laugh about. Um, and kind of on that note, like my wife and I were talking the other day about all these these things that end up getting posted right or these videos we create or these interviews we have that, that we're lucky enough to be able to record and share and if nothing else you know 10 20 30 or 40 years from now maybe we can just look back at some of this stuff and have a good laugh um and and maybe it'll be useful and, and inspiring to some people but also just that it's something that we can we can ourselves just go back and look at part of our journey I agree. Lenny, isn't it? <laughs> So you guys, the, the bioenergetic approach, it, it, it is this different approach um, compared to the conventional way of looking um, at things. Um, I, I'd love to hear you guys speak as fresh as you can, as newly as you can on what bioenergy or the bioenergetic approach means to each of you. Um, I just think that would be helpful for, for viewers um, to be able to hear your thoughts on that. Danny, you want to go? Yeah, I'll steal a quote from, uh, I used to interview a gentleman named uh, Phil Pranarupa, and he said a long time ago, he thought it was how energy animates life. And so I would, I would say that would be a good uh, soundbite. But, but again, uh, Ray is the purveyor of this information, you know, like people like Albert St. George, Otto Warburg, William F. Koch, um, and Ray is pulling from all these older scientists who are interested in that same question of how energy and metabolism relate to aging and sickness and, and all the things that we want to avoid. So, um, yeah. And, and again, the things he's talking about really can be found in most like physiology textbooks, or maybe they could in pre 1985 or before then, you know, but, um, but yeah, that's, that's the thing that I found so compelling. And then if you tie that into stress, like the challenge on the energy systems and, and that tug of war between biological or metabolic stress and the, the real biological energy that our cells can produce. That was very fascinating to me. And, and yeah, that, that being the general elevator pitch, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's that, that reminder of the interconnectedness of it all too. And if, 
the cells needs aren't being addressed, nothing else works as well as it could. Like just the other day I was with a client who was talking about, she was getting treatment with her gut health or something. I think she was working with a naturopath. She goes, look, I'm good for my gut. She's treating me with this and these probiotics and these herbs we're doing. I just need someone to fix my hormones and my energy <laughs> state. Like I would come in there and fix that because that was, and I, ugh, I didn't even really want to take her money as a client. I said, well, if you're paying this other person all that money to address your gut, if that was working for you, that stuff wouldn't be a problem. Like that would have, <laughs> it's because I, yeah, I think we, we tell ourselves, you know, people like to say that it's holistic and mind and body is connected and this, you know, that, that all these systems are connected, but I still think there's this lack of really acknowledging that. I still think people still come in and want to treat things so so separately. But, you know, bring it back to are your stress levels high? Do we need to challenge those? Do we need to get the cells better nourished? Then other things start to just kind of drift away, you know. I've had, I've had similar experiences, yeah. yeah. No, um... Yeah, and uh, the environment as an extension of the organism, it's, oh, part, it's part of you, you know, completely. like I think Ray said that in mind and tissue. And, and yeah, trying to convey that because I, I think the, the type of person that Emma uh, talked about is, is very prevalent, you know, like somebody will be like, oh, I'm talking to you so I can regrow my hair, you know, so it's like, oh, yeah. that's probably not how it works, you know. And so, and also, um, kind of the, the person's history. And so you can't like approach a problem that you have right now without thinking about like how you got there. And that doesn't, that didn't start like one or two years ago. It started when you were in utero, you know? And so mm -hmm. stuff like that. And so you think you're getting to, into Ray's work to learn about the thyroid and then your whole world <laughs> changes everything. and you start seeing, seeing everything differently. And so yeah. yesterday I was, I was on a zoom call and this, and the person I was talking to like had the revelation. So they're like, everybody I, I meet and talk to is on some spectrum of, hypothyroidism and I'm like uh, yeah basically <laughs> and so so yeah it's uh, just uh, it changes your world view completely I think and then you and then it's a reminder to that it's more than just about food like obviously I'm a nutritionist so you know the focus being the food but oh my god you can get people eating to a point that if you wrote it all down it looks picture perfect their nutrients are coming in they're eating frequently they've got their protein right but if they hate their job and they spend all day indoors under blue light and they go to bed at midnight stuck on their blue screen and they have a terrible relationship the foods is almost pointless you know it's um so i try and interject into someone's new ideas it's like it's not just about clearing out your pantry but you might want to take your breakfast and sit outside and have it and get some full spectrum light to offset your cortisol in the morning and you might want to you know get outside more frequently or look at a red light or just think about your sleep habits um, and, you know, change up the exercise you were doing and do something that gets you moving, but you actually find really fun. Like it should be fun. Like just offsetting stress in all possible areas, not just the biochemical stress of indigestible food. Um, and it, it is a much bigger picture. And unless you dress all of it, you will never get the full benefit or the effort you're putting in, you know, to your, to your eating plan, but it's, it's, it's everything. Yeah, I, I don't know if this is a good analogy, but like, I feel like learning to take care of yourself is kind of like uh, learning a new language and nobody mm -hmm. in their right mind would think they'd be fluent in some language in, a, I don't know, a year or mm -hmm. more, more than that. So 
so yeah, just a, a huge learning process of, of going through those things. But you're right, just like following some ar arbitrary diet, even though that could lead a person down a good path, you know? Improvements. Um, yeah, that, that always won't, I think, uh, be the keys yeah. to some kind of success. Yeah, and just the idea that we're constantly changing and that what, what yeah. might be what is right for us right now certainly could be different in five minutes. I got this crazy idea the other day that I was gonna like, on an eight, the other morning, uh, on an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper, I was going to try to write everything down in note form on, on what I thought was like um, stimulating cellularly, <laughs> right? Like, like that would lead to a rich, playful, and you know, energetic life. And I wrote it all down. I even like posted it on Instagram like hours later after I had like <laughs> racked my brain for everything I could think of. And of course I missed a ton of things. And a friend of mine actually wrote underneath the post and he commented, he's like, that's really great and everything. But like, I mean, you can throw all of that out the window because isn't it context based? Like, like doesn't it, isn't it a changing game and doesn't it matter so much? Like what's happening, what you, like Danny, you mentioned your history and Emma, just all these facets you mentioned, like that come, come in at any one moment to determine mm -hmm. And then, then Ray's line, like if there's any valid protocol, maybe the val the most valid protocol would be perceive, think, act. And and yeah. that rings true so often. My friend was totally right. It's like what you wasted your time. Like, what are you gonna do? Carry that around with you and look and look at it all? Tools in different ways at different times, then it's worthless. Don't you think we've gotten to a point though that health as a topic has become so unnecessarily overly complicated that like when I have conversations with women, they get a bit stressed about, so which is a good food, which is a bad food? And it's like, well, it's not really good or bad, but let's just try the food, see how you respond, see how your gut feels, how do you sleep that night, like all of that. Um, and they're looking closely at the types of foods they have been eating in the past. You know, they were drinking nut milk and making their dehydrated kale. I don't know what they're doing, but <laughs> I sort of, one thing, one analogy I really like, I don't know where I heard it, but it was, if you could sit down and have a cup of tea with your great, great, great grandmother and just discuss food with her. And you mentioned nut milk, she'd probably go, what, why? Like there's a perfectly good cow there. It makes them make, you know, like half the foods that we tout as being these phenomenal health foods, the, you bring it back to the basic logics and with a you know critical mind you know have a conversation with your great great grandmother and she would have gone i could have told you that custard's fantastic i make it every day but they wouldn't have sat there analyzing the custard and how many calories and they would have just collected their eggs made it use what they had you know it's just um yeah and like you said they wouldn't have thought which activity should i be doing this moment i'll check my mind out they would have just done it you know right it's would be so lovely to go back to a place where you just your instincts kick in and you, your body tells you what it needs in that moment and we just go by feel and i think ray talks about that a lot like learning to trust your instincts again mm. right i mean and 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 trying to trying to recognize like what your what your body might be asking for at various points mm. based on stressors yeah. or or not yeah. without that diet plan written down you know yeah and i think that gets confused in the in this like nutrition sphere or like on on youtube or or on, in social media like the, all these you know fad diets and such and then ray pete the ray pete diet will come up right and mm. and the more you learn about ray pete the more you learn that he never has outlined any kind of specific diet 
he, yeah. he does talk about certain foods and certain like um, and and certain impacts of certain foods on energy status. I think at various times, but he always he's it's he's always very clear that it's based on context and that um, it's 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 a lot more um, general and holistic, like truly holistic than yeah. than anything reductionist. I'm I'm like amazed at his consistency. You know, he's he, if you read Nutrition and Women. Granted, there are some different parts of it, you know, that I think that he wrote it in 1975 or 73 or 75, I can't remember. But like that, that he's still so uh, centered on the energy structure being interdependent and promoting energy production and avoiding allergenic things. And it's just like, I, I mean, show me a health person in the health world that is that consistent, you know, that has been I could, I have multiple examples of really popular people that flip flop all the time. Now, I'm not saying that changing your mind is bad, of, of course, but his principle of his foundation of what he's talking about is remarkably consistent. And so I, I really take that, take that to the bank. I think he, yeah. um, and then the, the, the more you have that foundation, the more you can explore it to these great lengths, which is, which is what he does in every newsletter talking about little nuances and things like nitric oxide and histamine and stuff. I think you're right. I, as you were saying that, I remembered a, a pod, um, conversation you had with him where you were talking about supplements. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I think the general theme of the conversation was how the fillers and supplements can be so toxic and, and that, that he's worked with or he's, he's been asked for opinions by so many people who he's just said, just stop taking the supplements. And it like <laughs> cleared up their health problems. I mean, what kind of like health or science or, you know, person is like, is saying stuff like that. Like not very many yeah. most are pushing some product or, you know, on and on. So he, he would say, yeah, pull back and simplify rather than add something else and complicate it further. Yeah. Yeah. Which is so nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, you guys, uh, clearly, we, clearly we've, uh, we've gleaned, um, some, some ideas from Ray's work that has led to ex personal experiments and personal experience that's been invaluable. I think we, we probably could all agree on that. Um, who are some other influences? Um, and Danny, you mentioned a few people like Hans, Hans Salier and, uh, and I, I think you mentioned Otto Warburg, maybe not, maybe it was a different chat I'm remembering in my head, but who are some other influences for you guys that have, uh, that have also, you know, really paved the way for where you, where you're at currently? Uh, I'd say definitely Tom Brewer, Broder Barnes, I think when I was looking into the whole pregnancy topic, Tom Brewer was pretty unique. There weren't many like him that had that sort of information and in talking about pregnancy toxemia and the importance of huge amounts of protein and, and salt in particular. Um, you know, and you look at the, the list they give you when you're full pregnant telling you what you should and shouldn't do and it <laughs> flew in the face of all of that. But um, yeah, that'd be my main other ones within, within the scientific community. How about you, Denny? Yeah, no, um, uh, Hans Salier, because I, I said this in the last interview, but uh, I didn't, when I was first getting into Ray's stuff, his stuff was like just too confusing and I didn't have mm. a strong foundation for what he was talking about. And so going back to Salier's books, perusing those and hearing him detail kind of what happens during stress, you know, like adrenaline's the short-term, stress hormone, cortisol is the long-term. Uh, hormone and they they have different functions and how the, the the stress response manifests. That was really helpful for uh, understanding Ray a little bit better. 
and uh, and Bar Barnes is I, I probably send people references from his uh, hypothyroidism the unsuspected illness book yeah, like multiple times multiple multiple times a day every day you know and, and mm -hmm. so um, and also he he, he has uh, his work is not hard to get into you know any normal person that's not like technically savvy can get into it and and I I think get something from it so I find myself recommending that book just all the time you know so. Yeah. Okay. Uh, many, many others, but uh, those would be um, Salier, Albert St. Georgie, Otto, Otto Warburg to a lesser extent. Um, yeah, I haven't, I haven't got it into one person for a long time. I'm, I'm just like going through papers and trying to understand things a little bit better. But, but yeah, those are some of the big ones. With Rhoda Barnes, what wasn't his, his work was so profoundly important, but it got covered up. Is, is that is that true that it just it, it somehow it made it really hard for most people to to see that this was a, a very important like um piece of work I, ray has mentioned that a few times i i don't know more details about it but but Broda's like i think uh the effective effectiveness of thyroid supplementation for a broad range of issues i think was his, like the kind of centerpiece for all of his information. And so whether you are depressed or constipated or have arthritis or can't have insomnia or have heart disease, you know, like just this thyroid supplement without changing literally anything else. Granted, he was administering that in a different time, like the food supply wasn't as bad as it is now, but just that thyroid supplement could have such a huge impact on a person's life. And so that was my major takeaway from uh, reading his work. Got it. And just the idea that the, the hypothyroidism might be such an unsuspecting illness. And even now, like so many people um, are like, you know, maybe maybe not clinically hypothyroid, but certainly are possessing the symptoms like you were talking about of being hypothyroid. 100%. Him aligning with Ray that the way they're determining whether somebody's hypothyroid is completely unscientific and hazardous to a person's health. Like you have to be feeling really, really bad to be diagnosed as hypothyroid. So, and that mimicked my own experience. So Emma, getting into the, uh, the bioenergetic approach as it relates to parenting, you have uh, two, two children? Yeah. Two children. Uh, and so you've, you've clearly learned a lot as far as uh, uh, health um, uh, coming from this bio, bioenergetic uh, viewpoint. Um, how have you applied some of, the, some of that specifically to uh, your young human or the young humans in your world? Yeah, oh, it's sort of, you learn day by day, don't you? <laughs> you can go into it thinking it's going to be like this. This is how I'm going to bring them up. This is what they're going to eat. And then they tell you. <laughs> so, it's, yeah, you take the small wins when you can. But um, just, I found it particularly fascinating to watch their instincts around food before they could even speak, you know, before you decided what you were going to put on a plate. Um, I nursed my babies both till they were both three and a half, one after the other. So it was a long draining process. But I wasn't fixated on trying to force solids on them at an early age. I figured when they're ready for it. Um, but perhaps around... 10 months of age, I think my daughter, I remember sitting there at the table and she'd just start to steal things off my plate of dinner. And the things she would go for were just instinctively just spot on, just so fascinating. And you just kind of nod thinking, yeah, Ray would approve of that. Like, but they, that's the things they would go for, like the really sweet sticky fruit or I remember my daughter um, finding the groceries 
the pat of butter and she opened it up and she was inhaling it like it was an apple <laughs> like but they're just drawn to the things that kind of make sense you know they grab a lamb chop bone and start gnawing on it um just pretty simple so I'd, I'd let them really dictate to me what they were wanting in terms of first foods and I knew that they were fed on demand anyway breastfed on demand so I wasn't stressed about them getting enough of anything because they were getting plenty but just yeah, watching them evolve and watching what they were drawn to you know how they loved liver from a young age like nothing to hide it they would just attack it and ask for more um yeah and just that need to kind of graze i just put things out and they'd go for it um working with them i guess rather than trying to make rules for them i think i was the same in regards to sleep and activities i i think i'm probably a very slack parent but i would just go by feel and we'd figure things out together um i was thinking about that because I never, I think I purposefully never read a parenting book or a baby book because I saw it as, well, that's going to be affected by someone else's opinion on the topic and potentially going to set myself, set me up to fail, you know, if things don't work as per the book's protocol. So I didn't read any of that. I, I just wanted to get to know my child and they were going to tell me and we'll just, you know, take it day by day. But there was one really good book I recommend, um, The Danish Way of Parenting just a little read, but I remember reading the, the blurb on it, thinking that just makes sense. And it was a group of, I think there were a couple of mothers that were psychologists and they would see year after year that in Denmark, they were, you know, renowned as the world's happiest adults, you know, population. Um, and they started to question what, what we maybe we're doing something differently in regards to parenting naturally that the rest of the world's doing that makes such happy adults. So they started um, probably, because they were already in it, so they weren't so, I suppose, uh, they, could, they couldn't decipher how they parent differently to other nations. So they'd go and look at other parents around the world. And it was, yeah, it just made sense. It was very instinctive. It was very much, you know, don't, don't stress if the child wants to eat their food on the floor with their Lego and they're not going to sit at the table and all of this. You know, that will pass to... Um, I suppose prioritizing what really is important. They were very big on um, having good quality sweets on hand, which I thought was interesting. They acknowledged that children's requirement for sugar is large and their exponential brain growth. So when kids ask for sweet things, it's not because they're bad, it's because their instincts are spot on. They know when their blood sugar is running low and it's very important for them. Um, and with my daughter, I learned from a young, you know, when she was only about three, she did a, a kinder program for a little while, which turned out to be wrong, so we stopped. But she had this eight-hour day and she hated it. And she'd be too anxious to eat from the snacks I sent her. And I knew that if I didn't pick her up with a hell of a lot of food on hand, she, we'd get home, she'd have that blood sugar crash, major meltdown, we'd have a messy night, she wouldn't sleep well. So I'd meet her at the gate with chocolate milk, some fruit, some orange juice, some gummy bears, you know, whatever I had on hand. And she would inhale it within moments and we'd have this awesome calm night and I still to this day don't get how they you know there's this general consensus that with children if you feed them sugar you cause them to have their hyperactivity and I see it quite the opposite I think the the meltdowns happen from the hyperglycemic crisis so yeah we have all those things on hand in this house but my kids don't abuse it at the same time they know it's there if they want it they ask for it um and I must say my kids are pretty even keeled and, you know, never have any issues.
I'm going off on tangents, but I think point of my answer is probably that it's just knowing that kids are obviously growing and changing stages at a rapid rate. And what we were saying before about us finding our fit of what works, we're being open to evolving because it's going to keep shifting. And what might work one week and you're like, yes, that worked. They slept through the night. Then it doesn't work next week. Um, you just have to be responsive to their needs and, and acknowledge, you know, what, what they think they need to, because I think they do know if you work closely with them. Well, I think it, it just in general, your openness to, to being receptive to what is being you know, called mm. for what might be the next, the next thing or the next step is, it, it's, is itself to me a sign of being very energetically replete yourself. Um, and so that, that, that's something that I was struck by. And just listening to you talk, it just sounds like you're an incredibly thoughtful person. Oh, that's very nice of you. Oh, no, I'm terribly <laughs> impatient. And <laughs> I have my meltdown street, don't worry. <laughs> no, no. But you know what? I, yeah, I, I think with the whole parenting thing, there's this pressure out there to, well, you're going to be a parent. This is how it is. And get ready with your sleep schedule and get ready with your schedule and get ready with, you know, they've got to hit that milestone by that date and everything else. And then the pressure on mothers, on parents to have done things by the book. And we never did. But, you know, I'm, my family's half Greek and we spent a lot of time going back and forth to Greece when we're allowed to travel. Um, but you go to Greece and you spend a month in the village and you're not feeding little Johnny at 7 p.m. They're eating dinner at 10.30 with the rest of the village. That's how... And they fit in with that beautifully and everyone's happy. I mean, it's... it's what, who cares what time of the day you have dinner? <laughs> Some, uh, and I want them to be that type of flexible person growing up. They're open to travel and different cultures and different ways of doing things, not too structured. I, everything you're saying almost verbatim resonates with me. Um, mm -hmm. my, my, my wife and I are, are the opposite of like having a schedule and so you're saying like almost everything you said actually sounds like a con like conversations my wife and I have and things that we're doing. It's it's cool to hear someone else share those views because they aren't they aren't shared by you know. Um, yeah. Oh, and then I don't want to put it out and make any other mother feel bad if they do it another right. way. And this is another thing about parenting. I think every parent should be able to create their own world for their kid and whatever works for them. And some kids love that sort of routine, but I guess it's getting to know your little human and what does work for them and, and giving them a respect that they get a bit of a choice in the matter too, perhaps, but. Oh, I love that. And I, th I think that autonomy matters a great deal. And, and I mm -hmm. think just engendering that flexibility in, in, mm. in what, they, what they can do and that they don't have to do things at a certain time, I think that goes with the, the bioenergetic approach and just yeah, the idea that they can learn to be in practice, not rigid, but but adaptable to any number of, of changing. Yeah, adaptable, that's a good word, yeah. Yeah, and so that, that just makes so much sense to me. Um, when you were talking about uh, nursing, uh, my, my wife uh, has, has nursed uh, our boy until three, he, he was three and a half years old, so I think you said about the same for-, for Good on it, have you bought her a prize or a trophy? <laughs> well, yeah, I was gonna say, like I, I sympathize with how hard that, just because of my personal interaction with my wife and like, how hard that is. And when people, I think a lot of people don't realize when they hear something like that, like that it's, it does deserve a prize. And it is okay. so <laughs> hard and can be- oh, It's, it's, so it's wonderful right. and I'm grateful I could, I wouldn't have done it any other way, but 
it's they're literally a very large parasite sucking off you and you know as you both know your requirement for energy is exponentially more than even pregnancy so you've got to be there feeding them and you've got to get a food in yourself and you need to be feeding the family and doing all the other things it's it's a massive commitment but it's yeah yeah it's awesome but it's um it's physically so draining at the same time <laughs> again I, I can't personally relate but and i and and so important as we understand it but but i can definitely relate to how draining it is for yeah. the mother um, well it's nice i think women like that to get the acknowledgement because in society you for the most part get a little bit shunned for it like it's 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 well, well Emma, a, you, yeah. the, the job you're describing is really unimportant. You should just try to be a CEO or something. I know, I should have. <laughs> I got it all wrong. That's right. Just put her in daycare. <laughs> well, well, without... No, I was juggling client calls with boot. <laughs> with how physically demanding it is to, to nurse, could you speak to the energy, um, the additional energy requirements that that, that means for the, for the mom too? Oh, it's huge. I can't even think of numbers off the top of my head. The whole phase is a blur for me. But in my feeding baby article, I've listed them all down, but nearly every nutrient is in increased in demand when you're, when you're nursing, when you're postpartum. And if you're pushing through the years and continually nursing, they're going to obviously feed more and, and your milk literally changes through the ages, which is fascinating. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a big demand and then you need... You need more sleep and they they tend to want to sleep near you or with you and that's because you are physically more connected but then you never get a night of unbroken sleep on top of it but no i shouldn't i should talk it up it's it's a wonderful thing yeah. <laughs> so, but it's I, I think in our society it's become not the commonplace to feed for long periods of time and again i think god even if a woman can feed for a few months that's wonderful good on you um, it's just whatever suits you personally and it suited me, but, um, and I, and I was always very discreet about it. I wasn't in your face, just feeding my child in the middle of public, but you still get the eyeballs and the comments. Um, like, so when are you going to be putting her in a bottle then? And what are you going to be this incredible, the people's opinions and that it is a bad thing. And they're just using you. They're just using you for comfort. So if I can provide comfort. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, and I, and I think, I think, sad. yeah, it's sad. And I think, I don't know in my head, I, I, I see comments like that as, um, as really just like projections coming from a mm. place of someone who, for whatever reason, feels stressed or bad about something that happened in their life, or maybe they couldn't do something, you know, that they see it as powerful. Yeah, um, and not a personal. I think a lot of times it, it's, it's that has nothing to do with, you know, you or my wife or anyone, any other woman who might, you know, receive, uh, weird looks or comments um, and that might be important to keep in mind um, but I think yeah I, I I just think it's so powerful um, that, that you guys are able to to do that and so I was thinking about the, like all these foods that you have in your kitchen that you're mm. that you're um, that your young ones can choose from so you mentioned a few of those could you maybe talk about like what your kitchen looks like in terms of this this environment where the kids can um, decide what they want to eat and then go to it? And also maybe like like um, in terms of shopping, what are foods you absolutely would not bring into your kitchen, and why? Mm. Um, so, well, the things we have on hand all the time, the fruit bowl is always full. 
I've always got there's a pretty fairly pure orange juice we can get from the store here that's always in the fridge plenty of milk um honey my daughter can just eat bowls of honey that's her thing <laughs> um what else lamb chops lamb chops are very popular in our house remember we're greek um oh it's just, it does rotate we do a lot of seafood oh, i'll have a very good quality sourdough bread through, through lockdowns i got into sourdough making like everyone else did but i decided i don't need another mouth to feed this culture is a big commitment so we'll have sourdough but I'll, i keep it in my freezer my daughter wants to make toast or something she pulls it out and toasts it herself so it's there but yeah, look, it, it changes up. Sometimes we make marshmallows, sometimes we make brownies, sometimes we make fudge. Um, and I think that's a good part of them learning in the kitchen too. They have to measure things and they have to help. Yeah, I guess it evolves. The things we definitely wouldn't have. Um, oh, look, I don't even think of the rule, things we don't. Like if we have a a family party, there's sometimes things there that you know are a little bit taboo, but I wouldn't ever say to my kids, you're not allowed to have this, don't have this, because then one day they're probably going to go, well, I'm going to, in spite of you, mum, I'm going to get that thing. But they, it, their cravings are really good. They don't seem to want many things outside of what they're provided. Like we had hamburgers the other night. We've got this incredible bakery that does sourdough hamburger buns, and we make the patty and sauce and the pickles, and they love it. So... Yeah, we've got a pretty broad range of foods, I think. The, the craving for soybean oil eventually will take over anyone. <laughs> so you no, can't, no, no, that's you can't resist never, That's never going to make it in the house. <laughs> Although I must say, I think I've ingrained the fear of God in my children with McDonald's. Like since they were tiny, if we drove past the Golden Arches, I would point at it and say, that's very bad. And they've got this fear. We drive past it and they go, what do they say? Bacusting. It's bacusting, mum. And they just have this, they're repelled by it. And my husband will joke and drive past and say, kids, you want a handbag? And they're like, no, that one's made out of plastic, dad. So <laughs> oh, I wonder how many more years I can get away with that. They'll probably taste it one day and go, oh, this is really good. <laughs> but, so my daughter's seven and she's never had ham, you know, any McDonald's of any kind because she thinks it's, it's evil stuff. Yeah, I think our, our boy tends to think that fast food is, is um, generally toxic also. And so speaking of that, the conversations, like, um, because what I've found is the more conversations we have around, like, you know, we have this in the environment and every once in a while it'll come up, like, well, you know, our boy might say like, well, you know, why, why do we have this? Or, or why don't we, you know, why, why don't we go get, you know, such and such, or, um, I'm just kind of like, you know, pulling things out of my head, but basically it, the conversation revolves often around like, not only this is what we have, but this is why. And th yeah, these are, exactly. this is why we're making these decisions and to the best of our knowledge at, the, at, the, at this given point, and it could change, but right now, this is what we think. And, and um, this, is, this is what we think might make ourselves happy. That's a common phrase in, in, in our house. Um, but do you, do you find the same thing that, that the conversations really- Yeah, definitely. Help? And explain to them, oh, mommy just really would love you to finish that because this just makes you super strong and healthy and this will make your hair grow longer and you say things like that and they'll get that. Um, Sometimes you have mother-in-laws that drop in treats that you really don't want them to bring. And <laughs> I'll let them try them, but I'll say, just don't have too many because you'll get big black holes in your teeth. And the other night, I remember my son, 
had something my husband let him have and he came in he goes mom am I going to get big black holes in my teeth and he was really stressed about it and I said no you'll be fine <laughs> yeah yeah it, definitely the explanation behind it I think that's very important and that gives them that respect of you know I acknowledge that you'll understand if I explain this to you and they yeah it's important to have that two-way conversation about it well, I like your point earlier about like, if you restrict something or say like, that's absolutely off limits in all scenarios, then eventually it's, it's going to be like that for mm-hmm. forbidden fruit, you know, kind of thing. Like, t- like they're, they're, they're that they will be attracted to in some way, the thing they've always yeah. been not allowed to have. So I like yeah. that point too, that, that it's just, it's a revol- revolves around conversations and then what's in the environment based on like what you, you and your husband have, cho- have, have chosen to you know have in your house and then and then you leave it up to your to your uh, kids that's it well i think too maybe because i'm not inflicting on them a a restrictive diet like perhaps some other mothers are like in our house we have open you know that they have chocolate milk that we make like i said we make brownies i make ice cream they've got a pretty full delicious diet so when it, you know, even when we're going out, they don't go crazy for other things. Whereas I hear about other mothers who are continually trying to discourage their kids from eating certain things. But I would say that my kids' cells, their needs for sugar are so well met, <laughs> you know, that there isn't that overwhelming craving for other junk because they've got plenty of energy coming in. You know, if I was limiting them to just water and vegetables for dinner, perhaps they would be craving the sugar because they needed it. I think that's an important point. And I think a lot of people have this idea that the bioenergetic approach, as far as nutrition goes, is restrictive. And, mm, I, and no. I would argue that it is Absolutely. the farthest thing from, from being restrictive. Danny, oh, you say we that? have a dinner we had what? We had lamb chops, we had chips. I baked them in coconut oil with heaps of salt and we had ice cream for dessert. I mean, right. it's pretty satisfying. Happy food. <laughs> Amazing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. From going to vegetarianism or to veganism to kind of a paleo to carnivore, uh, and then like adding starches back in, like the 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 nutrition I eat now is so much less restrictive than all of yeah. those things. And so, uh, and then Emma hit on something I think that's really important. I think when your liver glycogen is topped up, like you mm. are just uh, less susceptible to going mm. like hog wild. <laughs> like mm. I, I, for my whole life, you know, like when my parents would take us out to restaurants, I would just be be of the mindset to get as much crap food in as possible, <laughs> you know, because this was my shot to go to Taco Bell and just to eat everything. And so, so yeah, and, but uh, now I think I have a lot more like self-control. You know, I w- still walk by the bread and it smells amazing or the, the pastries and stuff. It smells amazing, but I'm not, I'm not really motivated to, like eat it, you know? And I think that's not, that's not like a psychological self-control thing. I think it's more of a physical. No, I it's not, completely it's agree. Yeah. That's it. I think when people get those overwhelming sugar cravings, especially women, there's this mindset, they tell themselves, oh, I'm just a pathetic female and I've got no willpower and how, how pathetic am I? Instead of thinking, wow, perhaps my body is an incredibly intelligent organism and it's telling me my blood sugar's crashing and my glycogen's deplete and I actually need sugars, otherwise my cortisol is going to rise. It, yeah. the, you know, they don't, once you see it that way, you go, oh, wow, thank you, buddy, for that sugar craving. Go for the orange juice and the fruit and some extra sugar in your coffee. Don't go for the yeah. biscuits. Um, yeah. Just knowing that. And then 
it's it's actually a positive thing. And then there's the the negative, you know, thoughts that are another negative and another stress on the body too, which you just don't need. But definitely kids, I mean, their brain growth is exponential and overall, I mean, they're growing every day and they're burning out so much energy to, you know, restrict them of sugars is just, it just doesn't work. And I, I mean, touch wood most, most of my time. My kids are just, they're just very happy, content kids. And they go to bed at night and then they sleep and they, I don't know, like we have this large jar of sweets in the cupboard, but be it they're the best ones I can get and they don't have any crap or oil coatings or anything. They're just sugar, gelatin, you know, nothing much else. But when they want one, they'll come to me first and they'll say, mum, can I please have one sweetie? And they'll say, just one. And I go, yeah, sure, you can have one. They never say, mum, can I have five? Or I never find them in the cupboard just inhaling them. They'll come and ask me first. They'll go and get their one sweet and I just let them get, get it themselves. And they never abuse it beyond that. So whenever they ask, I say yes, because, you know, they know when they need it. And I acknowledge they know that they know. And, yeah, it's, um, it's very interesting watch them with their food if you give them that benefit of the doubt that perhaps their instincts are correct our our boy has full access to everything like like yours do and lately he's been like he'll he'll go for like a, a like we have these uh we think high chews are relatively um well made compared to some of the other things so we have like high chews and then we have like these um these like uh, fruit bar things they're just fruit you know kind of like gelled gelled up or whatever yeah. anyway like he'll 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 have access to everything but lately he's been in the habit of like he'll he'll grab he'll get these candies um or even like trader joe's taffies um seem particularly well made compared to other things because they have they're made with like coconut oil and sugar and gelatin and he'll he'll eat one or maybe two and then he'll like put the rest he'll put he'll have like a huge bunch of them and he'll put them in a box or like a bag Aww. and it'll be a point of his to like put it somewhere and save it for later. But, but <laughs> you could eat all of them if he wants. We don't care. If you wanted to, exactly. Like Easter time, everyone gives them way too much chocolate and they'll have a few and then a month or two later, they're just still sitting there and they never get, you know, they don't abuse it. I think they're probably tapped into knowing I need to up my sugars. Okay. My needs are met, saturated and that'll do. Yeah, it's really interesting. Now, now in, in to going to healthy, happy moms, uh, and I know postpartum issues are incredibly complex, but would you say um, similarly, um, you, you mm -hmm. spoke to it a little bit, but like the whole like sugar fear is, is um, kind of unreasonable and that sugar might help in, in like postpartum issues and, and just, eat, just eating enough in general? Yes, yeah, certainly. And, and like you see so much, there's, more and more diagnosis of postpartum depression like it's this common phenomenon and you just gotta i even remember being at antenatal classes before i had my first and the midwife said is anyone here got a family history of postnatal depression and one lady put her hand up because her sister had it she goes oh well you better get you know it's it's genetic or something you better go and get your scripts for your antidepressants and be ready <laughs> with them when you have your baby because you're going to get it and i remember thinking yeah, that can't be right <laughs> But the more you learn about it, like you realize through pregnancy, if you have a good, healthy pregnancy, your placenta is pumping up so much beautiful progesterone. And that's why that pregnant woman is glowing and just in love with the world and her belly and it's all lovely. But then you have the baby and the placenta is removed and your progesterone levels come back to where they were pre-pregnancy, if not worse. 
But then on top of that, they're not returning to the village for the aunts and cousins to all help with the child so mum can, you know, recover. She's straight back home. She's up through the night with this thing she doesn't know what to do with. She's feeding. She's trying to cook dinner for the family. And dad's got to go back to work. She's on her own. She maybe doesn't have family or community. She's, I know, she's got the latest women's magazine, which says lose the baby belly and start dieting. Whereas she should be doubling the food she was eating in pregnancy. Yeah. And she should have someone feeding her and just stay horizontal for a few weeks. Um, but there's this pressure that, oh, well, get back to running your business on the side and doing everything you're doing. It's just, it's nonsense. So to think that they're so energy deplete, they're so malnourished, they're exhausted. Well, you know, I don't think postpartum depression, I mean, you know, the situations of it, but I think it's massive progesterone deficiency, massive energy deficiency, and you're going to feel horrible. Um, so the antidepressants aren't going to serve you so well, but yeah, acknowledging sugars and the need for glucose and just calories in general. I think I remember talking to you about it, Danny, but I remember having my second and I was a bit at my wit's end going, I'm eating as much as I can, but I've always got one attached and I'm running after the other one and I'm on my own and what do I do? And how can I get more energy in? And I emailed Ray and all he said was, could you just drink more milk? And I went, <laughs> yeah, I could. Like that's like, how lovely is that? That there are options that, you have to be reminded of how simple it can be, but it is. It doesn't require another meal to prep and cook. You know, just have the simple things on hand. Have the milk, have the cheese, have the fruit. Spike the sugar in everything. It's, yeah, it's, um, yeah, I just feel for the women who don't have this basic knowledge, don't have a grandmother around that could just offer ideas of what she already knew and putting that expectation on themselves to somehow keep up appearances and do everything else, not just because it's a massive thing to recover from. It really seems like our, our world doesn't make it easy for people no. to find success and you know, whether it be motherhood or parenting or health in general or, edu or educating ourselves or just so, so many things just seem to be stacked against us. Absolutely. Danny, what about you? Do you think, uh, do you think you, would enjoy having kids at some point? I think I've just turned him off it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's never been a desire of mine. Uh, so maybe that will, that will change. But yeah, I, it's, I know some people my age, they really do want to have kids, but it's never, um, like, like the things you're talking about, I think maybe I'm too black-pilled. I think things are so bad that I, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm more resistant to, um, uh, something like that, some kind of permanent situation that I know takes an extreme amount of energy and dedication and things. And so, um, yeah, but, but things might change. Who knows? If you were, if you were uh, going to have kids, if things did change, <laughs> because they do, I mean, I, I was actually a couple of years before I met my wife, I was living on a ranch halfway between Davis and Winters, which is over in Northern California. And I was literally on a 10 acre ranch living in a shack. And I was, you know, doing some strength training with high school and college athletes who would come out to this place. And then um, groups of, old, of, of uh, like older aged population would come out too. And anyway, I was like, basically this guy, I, I paid 40 bucks a month to live in a shack so I could protect the property because <laughs> he had all this expensive farm equipment and he needed someone out there. So I scored this like, you're really, I thought it was amazing. I was living a nomad really existence and, and I was determined that I, this was amazing. Like I just, I, I wasn't going to get married. I was going to live this like kind of like 
adventurous life, you know, as a single guy and, you know, everything was good. And then, you know, and then I met my wife and we walked through Sacramento for three hours and sat on her porch that night. And that was the end. That was it. No, um, so, so, I mean, that, so if you were, if that happened mm -hmm. or if kids were a part of the picture, what would be some of the primary considerations um, for you in, in raising a healthy, uh, energetic family? I mean, it's, <laughs> I mean, listening to you guys is uh, like uh, rewarding and interesting, you know, it's, it's, I, I imagine it'd be hard to even speak about it without having the general experience, you know, like I have a girlfriend right now. I think that's a huge extra part of like my uh, extra duties and things that I have to do. And so adding in a child to that mix seems exponentially more difficult. A person that doesn't have agency and that you need to do everything for them. And so I think, uh, I think you guys deserve medals. You know, I, I sometimes think it's difficult to take care of myself much less add a girl into that equation and then add a child into that equation too. That I feel like, I feel like that'd be very, you know what, very, though, very there'd be this power that would just ignite in you. Like <laughs> you just don't even know. Like, I was, I, I wasn't the clucky type for kids too. I, I was even wondering myself, do I even, should I have kids? Cause I don't feel this urge. But um, I remember a couple of years before we had kids, one night we, gone to be late we're exhausted and my husband joked and he goes if there was a baby in the next room screaming right now would you get up for it I'm like and we weren't even in the mindset of kids yet and we both would laugh and go god no no way just figure <laughs> it out itself but then you have it and then you're just there and the minute it whimpers you're just you know you drop everything you're doing you just let it take up the space in your own bed it's just amazing how it just changes you and yeah you're exhausted but I don't know. It's like your heart grows and everything grows with it, and you just find find a way to survive it, don't you, David? You just. I could say no, one agree. thing. I could say one thing that I, I wish. Uh, I don't know if it's getting too personal. That all I read in uh, Carl Ma uh, uh, yeah, Carl. Uh, no, <laughs> Abraham Maslow's book. He said he had like a bit about parenting, um, or maybe it was just in communication in general. But he said that he thought when a person was going through their pain, you shouldn't try to say to them, uh, don't feel this way about what you're, what you're experiencing. You should, you should be okay with it. And so during my childhood, I would have some problem and I would be told, uh, feel different about that problem. And Maslow is saying, no, let the person sit with that. And it's actually a way of respecting them and letting them overcome their, their own issues and not telling to, them to feel differently about it, a problem. And so that resonated with me. So I guess if, if in some alternate reality where I have children, I would try to enact that principle and not um, uh, tell them to feel differently if they were sad or upset about some type You'd of You acknowledge them and let them, well, this yeah, is it. Yeah. You can see, that's it. You can see them sometimes in pain or they're super sad because their Lego broke or something. And you've got bigger things to worry about and you feel like saying, just get over it. Come on, we've got to leave now or something. But you've got to stop and imagine yourself in their world. And, you know, in their world, that, that is a huge travesty. And they're allowed to feel pain for that and be frustrated. And, you know, they don't care your stresses. Um, so it's, yeah, I think that's a really, really good point. Just to acknowledge, let them acknowledge from their perspective what's important to them and what's, and even like, you shouldn't oh, be sad. Hmm. 
and even being like, oh my God, that sucks. That's terrible. <laughs> you know, like yeah. going in on how bad it is, you know? So yeah, um, absolutely. So yeah. And, and that can be useful and just generally in, in communication, mm. I feel like. I think that's a really important point and just, just allowing, allowing uh, ourselves even, but any human to be able to sit with something and then come up with their own tools for discovering how they might get through that. I think that's really empowering. Uh, Emma, earlier you mentioned the Danish way of parenting and I actually follow her on Instagram. And I think it's, is it Joelle Alexander? Is that the author? Yeah, sounds familiar, yeah. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, I, I really like it. And this conversation sounds a lot like stuff that she's talking hmm. about maybe in her book and in her on her Instagram channel. Actually, I remember that one of the most powerful things she said in that book was as I think from their culture, they looked at other Western countries of how they approached uh, children at certain ages. And they they had a translation for what we call the two-year-old age, you know, when they're starting to do things and get into things. And they could not believe that we call it the terrible twos. Like that's like in Australia, that's our perspective. You get a busy toddler and you call it, it's just the terrible twos. And you know, I can't remember how she worded it, but she sort of said, we could not believe you associated with being terrible. And they had a word which wasn't directly translatable, but it was something like the boundary pushing age or the, the boundary finding age or something like that, because they literally, they didn't know what the boundary was. They didn't know between right and wrong or anything else. It was for us to show them. So they do something and we could say, yeah, that's okay. And if they'd gone too far and it was suddenly wrong, we just have to make them aware of that and say, oh no, actually this is not good. But what you were doing before, that's fine. Because they shouldn't be in trouble for not, for something they don't know is wrong. And then, yeah, in our society, we just call that a terrible age, which is so negative. You know, they're coming into this terrible age and they're terrible little humans, but their their perspective on it was just this boundary finding age. And it was our job to make them aware of it. I love that. I really disagree with uh, with all the, the label, the labeling hmm. uh, of things. And like, even for me, like even, even labeling like a day is good or bad or experience is good or bad. Well, no, it's just all experience. It's all part of the learning process. And so I'm like, I, that resonates with me. I think that's really cool. Hmm. Um, and, 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 and with respect to kind of like boundaries and stuff and, and this idea that we're actually responsible for this young organism for a certain number of years, like we really are responsible in the beginning for, 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 for crafting an environment we think is, 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 is valuable for, for optimal development. Um, at least if we're thoughtful about it, you know, then, 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 then we're involved in that process. Um, but do you, so there's a, there's a fine line maybe between like, like filtering what the world is bringing in and like mm -hmm. the idea of protection versus, um, versus, uh, pre preparation. And, and so can, can you, either of you or both each of you speak a little bit to, to how, you would, how you would navigate that? Because there's so much out there. And I, I, I often like to think of it as like, we're getting fire hosed with information left and right. And, and so much of the information, so much of the media, so much of the, 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 mar the marketing, the advertising, and the, the messaging is just downright you know, fraudulent in, in some cases. So, so how do we navigate the, the like protecting our, our, our young ones from like the world out there um, beyond our walls and, and preparing them too? Mm, good question. Um, I think, yeah, like how much do you sugarcoat things or how much do you sort of bubble wrap them when there's certain things they have to, have to face and have to do? 
I, maybe for me an example is when, um, when my daughter started school, she'd had most of her time at home with me leading up to that. So she wasn't going to be used to the five days a week thing. That was quite a shock to her system. But a few weeks in and it was beyond her just going, I'm not ready for this. She was legitimately depressed. Like it was the most stressful thing I've ever been through. She, she's always been a, you know, a beanpole, but she, she lost so much weight. She stopped eating breakfast, lunch and dinner. She would throw up at the front gate when we drop her off. It was just, it was horrible to the point that, you know, people were saying something happened to her there. Like it was just seemed really traumatic. And we're at this point of going, we're only five weeks in, we've only just started school. Do you, do you step in and say, let's just get her out? Or do you say, well, honey, this is life and we've got to find a way to adapt. But it literally got to the point that it was affecting her physical health. And yeah, I mean, she was going gray under the eye. It was just, it was just horrible. Um, and I, it was the hardest thing to make that decision because I felt the pressure from other parents saying, well, you've got to teach them what life's about and you've got to, um, you don't quit things in life so quickly and maybe she's just being lazy or she's being uh, difficult. But yeah, I made the call and then we, thank God, we found a school not far away from us and it's, it's a much more, what do you call it, progressive or alternate kind of environment. From day one, it was like her sparkle came back and never had a problem since. So I'm, I'm just so glad I took it on myself to decide this is actually not good for her soul, this place. It just, the, the environment there was just so wrong for her and she has thrived and we've never had another issue, you know, three years later. And even to this day, people say, well, whatever happened in that situation? Was there a teacher who did the wrong thing? Was there, they think there was a direct trauma. But um, within, within a week of her starting the new school, they're, they're in these beautiful tree houses and it's a very bushy environment. Um, and she was having afternoon tea. Just out of the blue, she said to me, Mum, I don't think that the architects at the other school were very creative. <laughs> like that, that affected her. That kind of, my, my, my father's an architect and we're, you know, our surroundings are important. But it, it wasn't a, a trauma as such. It was literally the space there. There was like one tree at the school. There were cubicles everywhere. They had to, you know, march into class like they were little soldiers. Wow. And it just, it was, it was killing her. And she walked into this other space where she felt so at home. And now she's just, she's incredible. So I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah, for me, it was that fine line between do I, is that, is that going to, set up a precedent in her life where she just goes, if something's too hard, I just quit and leave. But it was so the right thing to do because I think I, I think I was respecting her and going, you know what? I, I, I think I acknowledge that you're not just, you know, playing games with me. I think this is really detrimental to your health and I'm going to acknowledge that and do something about it and never had a problem. So I, I think it comes down to getting to know your kid and knowing what's right and wrong for them. And then maybe that even in life, I mean, there are actually choices. Like we live in a, an amazing city with lots of interesting alternate ways of learning as well. Um, maybe life shouldn't have to be so like this and this is just how things are done and that's just it. It's like, well, perhaps we can be flexible and find our fit too. What a powerful thing for a young person to recognize that the, the environment they're in is not conducive, <laughs> so right? To, to, to creativity and health. And, 
and, yeah. and, to, and that you, that you um, supported her in, in making a decision like that. Like, I think that's really strong. Yeah, well, it was a hard thing to do. And, you know, we went from being at a free public school to an expensive private school and, you know, all the things you got to take on board. But in, in hindsight, there's nothing I'd rather spend my money on than the perfect, at least you can be there five days a week, most weeks of the year, that um, what's more important than that? That's awesome. I think people sometimes hang their hat too much on that whole idea that if you start something, you have to finish it. I mean, I think mm. sometimes that that just it 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 drives itself into mm. the line real quickly in, into insanity. Like at yeah. some point, if you realize it's not working, it's not right, it doesn't feel right, it's not it's not where I should be. You need to be able to have the courage, and I think you're fostering that. I think that's really cool. You need to have the Especially courage. Especially there's these such formative years. I mean. Yeah. You know, like they say, when you're a child, you still have this wild imagination and we should try and feed that imagination and retain it for as long as possible. Once you kill their imagination and their spirit, it's not something you easily get back in your 30s or something. You know, it's this yeah. is the age to really foster that and keep them, I don't know, feeling optimistic about the world and, and yeah. Well, I think that's, that's kind of what this bioenergetic approach is all about, right? It, it, it encompasses mm. a life that that is that has that imagination long lived right and and yeah. playfulness um sees itself yeah. into into old age and like ray was talking about um the last time i i shared a conversation with him he was talking about playfulness as openness and mm. doubting things and questioning everything he wasn't oh. talking about like silly play which is you know part of it having fun and humor and that's part of play but his idea of play into old age, if you're energetic, uh, is is literally still questioning everything and and being oh. curious about things and, and and wondering about life instead of you know waiting. It's for as it. important as it's more important than the straight up curriculum that they're meant to you know get through. It's it's so you would have seen the lectures with was it um, the Ken Robinson. Love them. And, yep. Yeah, amazing. Them. It's, it's all of that. How yeah. schools uh, kill creativity, I think, is yeah. one of the more famous. Yeah. Yeah. Danny, yeah. Danny, what, Danny, your thoughts? And uh, uh, what particularly? Just the idea, like the idea that we, you know, part of it is, is protecting um, people in our environment, and then part of it is like letting them experience the world for what it is, so they can learn on their own. I guess. Yeah, I could talk about that. In, uh, I guess it seems so uh, <laughs> difficult to not get indoctrinated either through the media, through entertainment, uh, through schools. And so that, that seems like a real challenge, you know, because like the time you're with your child versus the time that they're at school or watching Marvel movies or watching television or whatever. And so that, or on social media, like Instagram and all these things and so that seems probably more difficult now than it ever was you know of all these different uh psychological operations conditioning what your child is thinking and stuff so um yeah i couldn't speak uh about that intelligent with intelligently with a child but even for myself i try to immunize myself from media and things like on my Twitter, everybody is muted and I have to go to them to like see what they're actually saying. And so I, I, and I abandoned Facebook a while ago other than just to post random updates on the live stream and stuff. And so I really have to seek out news and stuff because 
uh, if you're just in that stream of like cultural trash, it's going to affect you in some way, shape, or form. And so I try to resist it as much as possible. Well, it becomes almost like a, a willpower getting drained, right? Like if, if we're just exposed to it all the time, like maybe if we're thoughtful about it, we're really trying to perceive and discern and make sense of it. Like we might to a certain point be able to craft some way out of it. But at some point, like you, our, our levels of um, our, our, our power, our willpower just gets drained and then you're just, you're just trapped in it. Um, yeah. I think having conversations like this, doing the live stream is, and posting little tidbits is, is kind of a therapy, you know, <laughs> like been sure. trying to, uh, I don't know, having my own propaganda for a different type of message. And so uh, I think that is a little bit of therapy, but, but yeah, I mean, it's overwhelming of how much nonsense there is. Well, in some way, even though these are, like we're we're sharing these and making these public. There's still this. It's a private. It's still for us that right now. It's a private conversation, and we're sharing things that are going on in our lives. And and you know, one person's sharing, the other people are listening. And like that's the that relationship aspect is seems to be the real you know powerful stuff. Um, I know we 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 don't have like TV. We don't we don't have we don't watch TV. We bring out a TV from the closet and and for a movie night once or twice a week. And we have like Netflix and Amazon Prime, and so we'll pick a movie, and then after the movie, it goes back in the closet, and mm -hmm. and we 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 really aren't exposed to much. So we almost, it's almost weird. Like I, I was telling you guys earlier, we 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 traveled down to Central Coast, and um, we we live kind of in our bubble for a while, and I we purposely don't consume a lot of stuff that's going on, and we I think I. I, we just feel like everything's great. And then, and then we, and then we go out for a trip and we go to another place and we're staying at a hotel and we have to go out to, you know, get food. And, and we realize like, Whoa, like <laughs> there's a lot going on that, that scares us. Um, so in, in related specifically to this, um, the, the COVID-19 rigmarole, um, uh, you know, what, what, what are some best case scenarios? you guys think um, that might we might be able to you know find our way through and, and into do you know Danny I've been talking too much <laughs> I I'm a bad person to ask about this I feel like I feel like I need to like self-censor myself on uh, skypes and stuff because I think I bummed the person out so this I mean I'm not an expert on this situation but like I uh, I, I told you, David, before we went live, like I moved to Mexico in anticipation that something terrible was going to happen in the U.S. in 2016. So that's that's the, the that's the main reason I moved to Mexico is I thought if a 9-11 happened or something that shit would hit the fan and people would go psycho. And because I saw hints of that in the 2016 election, people going psycho of just over this whoever wins this election. So um, I, I really have no idea. You know, I, I hope things uh improve but just like we were talking with australia getting more hardcore about um dr drones and uh ai looking for people wearing masks and stuff i see that same kind of thing being uh being employed and and done over in thailand and asia in general and so i i don't i suspect things will get worse before they get better but as to what specifically that looks like i have some ideas but i don't i don't know for sure so um yeah i again i'm a bad a bad very black-pilled person to talk to about this <laughs> yeah i don't know it's well considering if we had this conversation this time a year ago 
could not have seen, could we, where we're at now? Like, no one could have guessed it. So in that, you know, way thinking, you kind of go, well, you just, who knows what's to come? But I don't know, you call me crazy, but I'm, I'm quietly optimistic. Maybe I'm too optimistic, but <laughs> even being in Melbourne where if you look at the news, it's the worst place in the world right now. Um, I'm, I'm kind of ignoring it all. Like I was saying, I, I work from home anyway, and we just order groceries and I don't know, I'm not participating. Yeah. But it's, I think the threats and the threats that you see in the media are perhaps a bit worse than the reality a little bit. Perhaps the media are flouncing up the drama, which I think they like to do. Um, but yeah, I just, just sensing there's a bit of a shift in the community here, whereby the first lockdown, everyone was like, yeah, this is good. We should do this. And this is for the good of everyone. It's, it's starting to feel a bit like the general consensus is, yeah, this is bordering on crazy now. Yeah, no, no, no. We're not going to put up with this for much longer. Um, you know, people are losing their livelihoods and their businesses. And it's, it's, it's coming to a bit of a crunch time where, I mean, there's, couple of class action lawsuits that have just gone into play there's yeah um they're finding that the local government has been technically illegal and how they've gone about things so i don't know i'm just watching and waiting but i feel like maybe it was the wake-up call a lot of people might have need to have you know the, the world economic forum is calling this the great reset so i guess the best case scenario their plan fails, but it it wakes up a bunch of people. And yeah. uh, so, I mean, that would be great. And then maybe a lot of the shit that's coming to the surface is stuff that was already there. It's just that it's bubbling up and it's becoming really noticeable. It's in our face. Um, and better that it come out and we deal with it and get rid of it than it be, you know, quietly in the background, just continually taking away our... Yeah, I like that. And and despite the fact that censorship seems to be out of control, yeah, there's still because of social media and because of conversations like these, like you can't shut everyone up. And and so I do. I am hopeful also. Like it, there does seem to be a lot of conversations happening either through mm. social media. Oh, I'm having conversations with people I've never had before on topics that were never explored. You're just like, you don't go there. Yeah. And people questioning things that they never questioned in the past. Things that I've always questioned. I'm that annoying one who does things differently maybe, but it's making people question, you know, choices they make about their health and priorities about how they like to spend their time and realizing what's important. Um, yeah, and maybe with all the censoring, I think it's becoming clearer and clearer. The people who are getting censored are the ones that make others go, hang on, well, if that's so censored, what's that about? I want to dig into that. Like, what's, right. you know, it's, it's making it more aware that perhaps that's the important stuff to look into. Right, it's almost like that, that thing we were talking about earlier, like if we, if we tell someone they're restricted from access yeah. to a certain something, yeah. it just, it, it, hopefully if, if, if there's some metabolic, you know, environment left in people, it just piques the interest. Like what, what are yeah. they, why are they restricting that? I think so. If they just, if it was no big deal, they'd go, oh, let that play out because that's nonsense anyway. Right. Um, yeah. mm. Anyway, so in that, another in, conversation in six months and see. <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting to check in with each other and, and just continue this conversation and, and see where, see where things go and how we handle it. And, and I think- Let's just put it out there and be hopeful that this time next year, we can have this conversation on my couch 
coffees in person. Because <laughs> yeah, we've all made international flights and we're allowed to. <laughs> a couple of cups of coffee and. Well, let's make it Thailand. <laughs> Danny, that right. an island. <laughs> Nicaragua would be good. <laughs> if you're still there, Danny. <laughs> maybe, maybe Nicaragua, Nicaragua is the next spot, or Costa Rica, or maybe okay. you go in Mexico. That sounds good. I'm down. <laughs> awesome. Well, you guys, I think that this is a good place to uh, to call it tonight, or tonight for me, uh, morning for you, Danny, midday for you, Emma. Um, but this has just been great. Uh, wonderful talking with you uh, both, and uh, I'm so grateful that you uh, wanted to give your time and your energy to this. So thank you. That's so fun. Pleasure. Thanks thank so much, David. Thanks for including thank you, me. Yeah. Good to see you, Danny. Always awesome. a pleasure. <laughs> Bye, you guys. Bye. Bye.